The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Business Unusual brought to you by Workforce Staffing. How does one turn disruption into innovation? By using Workforce Staffing scalable and agile staffing solutions. That's how. Um, and uh, Colin, Colin Cullis with Business Unusual. I remember writing a news headline probably at the end of 1997 or early in January 1998. And the news headline was, China is our new best friend. And I thought to myself, I felt very smug about that, so smug that I still remember it to this day. Because as a kid, all my toys, Colin, were made in Taiwan. And today, I ordered a bunch of stuff to help me write my new book. There was a mouse, a keypad, a proper chair, all sorts of stuff like that, all made in China. Um, Because uh, this is a story about Taiwan, but it is also a story about China, which wants Taiwan to be back in the family, bada-boom, bada-bing, sort of mafia style, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's a great summary, Bruce, because I think for most people, our understanding, our experience, unless we've actually been to China or Taiwan or have read up and, and studied, uh, you know, the situations, the history of those two countries is the things we consume that come from them. And they are both massive economic, uh, you know, creators of of products that we consume. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate that we sometimes have such a simplistic view of, of the history and what is actually going on, certainly as the conflict in that region and between those two countries does seem to be notching up to a point where a lot of people are taking notice and quite a few are expressing concern that, you know, what happens next could have major implications, not just for the the people of of China and Taiwan, but the whole region and invariably the globe. And, you know, in in looking at the conflict that is there and how it came about, it's way more complex than certainly, uh, you know, most people will will, will know. Uh, And in my trying to read up a little bit, and I have to stress again, I have the most superficial understanding after my attempt of the last couple of days to try and understand a little bit more, um, really leaves you, you know, stuck a bit with saying anybody who can glibly tell you, it's simple, we should just do this. The only thing it illustrates is they don't understand what's at stake. However, there is sometimes an opportunity where seeing the bigger picture uh, maybe is the best solution. And I'm sure you've come across this notion of the overview effect, which uh, is ascribed uh, by psychologists, particularly to people who have been to space, that for all the trouble you have in your life, all the trouble you're aware of in your country and your region and the world, as soon as you just leave the planet and, and get enough perspective to be able to see the entire thing, our view of it changes. And uh, I was looking to try and find some context for this evening's conversation for, for understanding that this is something where you've got to look close and understand the details, but also have that distance to understand the bigger picture. And I got it delivered to me quite surprisingly because William Shatner, Captain Kirk, <laughs> happened to be on the Blue Origin flight that went to space a little earlier today. Well, went to the common line. Some people will debate if it went to space. And upon his return, most of the guys on, on the crew and certainly the people who welcomed them back, it was a successful launch and, and, and landing, uh, were you know shooting champagne and sh- shouting and celebrating. But William Shatner had a very profound overview effect. And there happened to be cameras near enough to him. And Jeff Bezos, when he walked over to him to say, how's it going? He wasn't on the flight. He was sort of the special chaperone. Uh, saw William Shatner start just talking for minutes and minutes about the profound effect it had on him. I've tried to capture a minute of it. I'm mindful that there is a lot of noise because they've just landed and and people are celebrating around him. But if you can, just try and listen to the way he speaks. William Shatner is a pretty good, uh, coherent speaker. But listen to the emotion in his voice that really, I think, epitomizes what happens with the overview effect and the impression it does leave on someone. Everybody... (laughs) 
needs to see. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, the, the little things of weightlessness. But to see the blue cover go whip by and now you're staring into black. That's the thing. The covering of blue, this the sheet, this blanket, this com this comforter of blue that we have around. We think, oh, it's blue sky. And then suddenly you shoot through it all of a sudden, as though you whip off a sheet off you when you're asleep, and you're looking into blackness, into black ugliness. And you look down, and there's the blue down there. Okay, uh, Colin, it's it's very noisy and uh, very distracting, but we get a sense of the emotion, of course, of William Shatner talking about what you see from space uh, and, and this whipping off the blanket, of course, and seeing the blue and it's glorious. And you can hear that he is, his voice is thick with emotion. It, it really is lovely, isn't it? It was, and I suppose uh, him now being the oldest person to have ever been to space at, at 90, uh, you know, there's another perspective he has for getting closer to saying how much time will I have to see this magical blue marble and enjoy all its wonders upon it. Uh, which, you know, for the rest of us, when we're stuck in our details of our lives, forget that, that it is like that, that, that tiny little film that separates us from the blackness of space. The, the shortness of our lives is, is something similar. And that hopefully is a bit of a context, uh, maybe not too much of an of a over elaborate one, for just having a look at the situation that is happening between China and Taiwan. And um, yeah, my starting point was simply trying to say, or oh, the way I got into this is somebody had asked online, how many countries are there? Uh, I thought that was a pretty simple question. And I figured all you needed to know was, well, there is an answer. And once you know the answer, you just need to remember it. And then you tell somebody the answer is X. Uh, but it is unfortunately more complex because it depends who you're asking. And it depends which body is counting the countries. So generally speaking, the United Nations is probably the body that would uh, take the, the, the greatest credit for saying, right, these are the countries of the world looking to manage what is going on. And by their count, there is 193. And I, I mention them in particular because their count excludes Taiwan. Uh, only 14 countries on the planet, and there are at least 193 now, as you would know, uh, do count Taiwan as a country. Most count China as a country and Taiwan as a currently unincorporated part of China. Uh, and the history for how it got there and, and why it is so perplexing and so important for China to want to get Taiwan back and why at the moment, uh, despite not everybody in, in Taiwan, you know, not wanting to rejoin China is at a, 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 an inflection point for saying, well, maybe we don't have to anymore. Maybe it's not such a big deal. So I thought I'd start with a, a little bit of history and again, super, super uh, uh, brief history, just to give some sense as to how we got to now, which hopefully uh, makes understanding what might happen next uh, a little more, give it a little more context. So Taiwan was a, 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 is a large island. It's off China, about 100 kilometers off of the mainland. But there wasn't much happening there. The people have been living there for 6,000 years. But the first time somebody tried to settle it and, and, and make something of it was, surprise, surprise, Dutch colonists back in the sort of uh, 17th century. Uh, and they built up a bit of a port for their own benefit to extract what they could from the region. Uh, and it was only when... Um, a dynasty had fallen in mainland China, uh, and some of the people uh, from that dynasty had fled across to to Taiwan, Formosa then, uh, named by the Portuguese as this beautiful island, uh, that mainland China had said, well, we've got to go and, uh, you know, finish this off. And and so went and, and took over the, the sort of base that the, the Dutch were running, and then ran it as if it was part of China uh, for a good many years. Until Japan decided that it was uh, feeling a little... Uh, expansionist uh, as it as, as it was, and uh, it took it over. 
And rather than, uh, you know, the way most colonial countries have tended to to deal with taking over countries, you know, you go in, you extract what you want, but you, you're you not really too fussed with the people who live there. Japan went in and, and, and sought to make it part of Japan. So they enforced the learning of Japan, the wearing of Japanese dress, etc., and, and added quite a bit of infrastructure as well, almost to the point that while people living in Taiwan would not have been grateful for what Japan had imposed on them, they had actually started uh, you know, moving ahead economically and certainly developmentally from what mainland China was at, at that point. Uh, and that changed again after the end of the Second World War, where the, the Allies had effectively said uh, Japan is not entitled to keep any of the uh, regions that it, that it had held and handed it back to uh, the then nationalist Chinese authority. They had over they had subsequently overthrown their last um, dynasty, the Qing dynasty, uh, in, the, in the early 19, uh, 1900s. Uh, and it went to this nationalist, still authoritarian, not, not necessarily the greatest sort of uh, governance system in the world, which as a consequence of not being a very good system and it being kind of weak, uh, led to the, 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 the sort of uh, the rise of the Communist Party, who effectively had a civil war and, and chased what was left of the nationalists of that government, uh, who took refuge in Taiwan, uh, calling it sort of a, a temporary base until they could retake uh, the rest of China. And this is where this crazy notion of China saying Taiwan is part of China and Taiwan certainly parts of Taiwan, believing that China was part of Taiwan, as it were, the People's Republic of China, which most people refer to as China, and then supposedly the Republic of China, which, you know, typically is Taiwan. So now you have this sort of standoff between these two, and uh, communist China was certainly looking to say, well, look, we're going to go and finish the job, we're going to pop across uh, and deal with what's there. Certainly the people who were living in Taiwan would have had no problems had the communists done that because the nationalist Chinese who, who came there, uh, the island had about 6 million residents, about 2 million came from, from, from mainland China and effectively set up a crony system, very authoritarian with scant regard for what the locals wanted or, or how they saw their governance working. Um, but if it weren't for a, uh, a war in Korea with, uh, you know, the, the issues between a communist North and backing of, of Russia and the Americans not wanting to see South Korea uh, becoming communist, uh, America decided to intervene in China's then plans simply to retake Taiwan and, and held that they would defend Taiwan in order to keep another non-communist ally. So two in a row, we've got colonial powers and you know international I interventions just muddying the waters and making things a lot more complicated than need to be. And, and so it lasted effectively up till now, with Taiwan itself actually becoming quite loathsome of what the, that nationalist regime was doing in the country, despite in the 70s and 80s, uh, there was an economic boom through, throughout the region. China had become much more of a, of a, a useful ally, as it were, for, for America. And at that point, uh, America had said, we, we acknowledge that China does have a right to, to get the reunification going, and so agreed to support China's uh, as the central country, and Taiwan would be, you know, sort of a second okay. part of it, and many other of their allies joined, joined with that. Uh, but in the 90s, things changed because Taiwan themselves decided to overthrow this authoritarian one-party state, to embrace democracy, to start making uh, massive improvements, not just with the democratic front, but, but socially, they've become a lot more progressive. Their economy had opened up. They became hugely uh, innovative and, and, and took off as, you know, this is where we were saying everything was made in Taiwan. This is the period in the, in the, in the early 90s uh, that they managed to get there. And while it's been a seesaw the whole time between how do we reunify and which parties are in favor and which parties are against, the, the tipping point probably came in the last two years with China ramping up its need 
to or want to reunify, the uh, practices in Hong Kong, where it was supposed to be, you know, one China, two systems, and it appearing that you know, China didn't really abide by the two systems, pretty much enforcing its its rule and uh, its way of wanting to do things in Hong Kong, that Taiwan is now s- certainly a lot more worried. And the question then becomes, and I know we don't have time, so online I will leave you the various scenarios as to what could play out. Suffice to say, some of them could be, this is just a big storm in a teacup, possibly a big distraction for other challenges that China has got to do with how it's been handling local conditions regarding flooding, uh, massive issues with regards to its property uh, system and Evergrande's defaults and and things related to that, Uh, the the issues it's had with clipping the wings of its tech giants and looking for something, a nationalist cause to say, let's refocus our attention over there, versus Xi Jinping's own legacy. Uh, he's, He's 68 and, and has committed when he st- when he took over to say, I'm going to see this through, um, to want to sort of make this part of his legacy to say, I was the person who not just led this massive economic improvement in China, but I was the one who finally, you know, completed the puzzle mm. for history to make China this one country again. And so we left with this moving part with lots of other players, you know, America's role, Europe's role, which is not necessarily the same as America, Australia now part of the mix, Japan and how it will do it, Russia, etc. Everybody's involved, including South Africa, has been pretty strong allies of China um, to see what's going to happen. And so I would simply encourage everybody that this is a fascinating subject and a frightening one in some respects. And so us all ta- doing a little more, understanding a little more might help that, that should uh, our voices need to be lent or possibly some pressure need to be brought to bear for, for peaceful measures, for whatever else, uh, that hopefully we're prepared and ready and able to do so. Colin Cullis, that's uh, Sage Warning this evening. Thank you very much. The future of Taiwan very much in China's crosshairs.